You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of GrooveRoof.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Um, but uh, we also just had like a 15-minute conversation about essentially the things we're about to talk about. And so I feel like we already expended a great bit of en- deal of energy going over these topics, which sure. hopefully will make this podcast better and smoother. And we'll have our talking points all in order. But it's also, you know, just given how often we podcast, it's also like, (laughs) kind of like, oh, man, (laughs) we just, we really should have just recorded what we just talked about. But hey, (laughs) we didn't. And uh, now, now we're going to do the thing. So uh, free agency is almost here. It's go time for the Milwaukee Bucks. Last week was the entree, you know, it's kind of the appetizer. And everything that happened with, you know, that Tony Snell trade, none of that really kind of. The whole point that was that was just to set up what is about to happen over, you know, the next few days, starting Sunday when free agency opens. And so now is when we can really start to judge whether the best laid plans of the Milwaukee Bucks uh, actually make sense and and what, you know, what we can expect hopefully from this team moving forward. So essentially what we're going to do is kind of like work through all of the, you know, latest news, like that has been reported on all of the Bucks free agents. But before we do that, um, it's like officially summer in Milwaukee now. It, it, it is nice and is warm, and Summerfest started today. And I'm curious. I mentioned the fact that my favorite thing about Summerfest is just watching, uh, just doing some people watching and seeing the weirdest jerseys that I can find, like the weirdest basketball jerseys that happen to be out there, because that's very much a thing at Summerfest is just like wearing weird basketball jerseys. Uh what did you have jerseys as a kid? Like, did did you end up having like? Did you do you did you have some bad like Bucks jerseys? Like, did you have a Sean Raspard or something like that? Uh, I never had any any Bucks jerseys growing up. I had, um, let's see, I think I only I only owed owned two basketball jerseys, two NBA jerseys. I had also a couple of NFL jerseys. And none of them were Packers or Bucks jerseys, ironically. Ooh, okay. Do you want to? Do you want to guess? You know a bit about my David Robinson. David Robinson was one of my NBA jerseys. I got that I think in seventh grade, and um, one of my I didn't wear it very often. It was the black Spurs jersey. Uh, this was I, I bought jerseys back in the day when these were the I, Eric. You you might have been too young for this, probably uh, when Champion made the like replica jerseys. I had I had a Champion Big Dog. Okay. So, so you're not you're not too young to to remember these. So, yes. yeah, I, I, I they're still hanging in my closet back home in Wisconsin when I go home, and so I'll occasionally just go in there and uh, kind of chuckle looking at them because the quality is pretty low. But I mean, they're 25 years old at this point, and I mean they haven't fallen apart, so I guess that's something. But yeah, I have the David Robinson jersey. Uh, it hangs next to an autographed Giannis uh, jersey, so that's kind of cool. 
Um, although it's <laughs> kind of stupid that it's just hanging in my closet and not, you know, framed or something like that. But um, shout out to my my dad for picking the Giannis autograph jersey when he uh, got his season tickets. Uh, this was like, I think, 2015 or so. Um, That's pretty well done. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess technically you say I have a Giannis jersey, but I, I mean, I don't wear it. I got it as an adult and it's sure. autographed. Um, but there's one other NBA jersey I have, and I got it in. Uh, it was the early '90s at some point. Can you do you want to try a guess? And it's not a Bucks jersey. Do you want to guess what it, what it was? Um, man, I really have no. So I'm thinking. So I know Spurs would have been an interest of yours, but now I'm just trying to think of like random '90s jerseys, um, like a Shaq jersey, like a Shaq Magic no, jersey. No, Shaq. I hated Shaq because of his uh, weird feud with david robinson so i couldn't mm, could never have sense. a shack jersey uh it, it is probably the most obvious jersey one could have if you're an early 90s basketball fan that oh nice jordan player. jersey it was the jordan jersey it was the red bulls jersey with the white uh nameplate on the back so that was it, they switched to black i think in i don't know if it was like 95 or when it's, at some point they the lettering on the the names went from white to black but this was a white one which makes it look extra cheap because like it looks really cheap because it's got the you know red number and all the bull stuff and then it's got the the white and the name on the back. So yeah, my I, mine are not very uh, not very novel. By the way, my my I didn't not wear them very often. Um, I always wore a, an undershirt with them. Basketball was, jerseys are very rarely socially acceptable. Summerfest yeah. is one of the few places where I find it socially acceptable because it tends to be incredibly hot. And in that situation, I might allow you to wear short sleeves in public. But yeah, other than that, I, basketball jerseys are incredibly difficult to rock. Yeah, and I was, you know, a self-conscious, you know, middle schooler when I had these, so I, I would never wear them. I'm a self-conscious uh, 28-year-old man, so <laughs> <laughs> I understand what you're saying. But you actually were like an actual basketball player. Uh, so, I mean, you, you've actually, you know, in you played college basketball. Sure. You, you You've actually, actually, question for you, did you wear an, an undershirt when you played college basketball or high school? Uh, no, I did not. Never. Okay. Respect. You were, you were not a John Henson then. Um, respect you for that. Um, so, I mean, it's not unnatural for you to do that. You actually are like a big enough guy that you wouldn't look just like, you know, like embarrassingly scrawny or something like that, which is what I was. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, and my only, my my only memory, I remember wearing the Dave Robinson Jersey. I think it was end of seventh grade or not end of seventh grade, but it was late spring of seventh grade. Uh, he had 71 points in the final day of the 93 94 season i believe it was mm-hmm. um and he uh winning the scoring title he averaged 29.8 points a game beat Shaq that year uh scored 71 against the clippers and i wore the jersey the next day because i mean of course why not wear the the jersey the day after the guys of scored course. 71 points and my uh my good friend to this day my friend allison uh, she saw me and uh, she was like, oh, you know, you scored 71 points yesterday. And I was like, uh, yeah, I, I know he scored 71 <laughs> points yesterday. I was very annoyed. Uh, shout out to Allison. She works at ESPN, uh, interest, ironically enough. But um, uh, but yeah, that is my random memory. And Jesus, I, I feel like I've waited so wasted so much time. The only other jerseys I had, I had a uh, Barry Sanders Lions jersey. Oh, was my favorite football that player. is a gorgeous jersey, Frank. Well done the the blue uh, yes. although i have to say the the number the numbering it was another champion jersey the numbering the the style of the two i'm not i can't really describe it, but the style of the two was actually not true to the actual two uh the way the two number was on the the actual real jerseys oh, so that always sterling brown situation it what do you mean sterling browns the twos on sterling browns jerseys are 
for some reason, uh, either I can't remember if they're reversed or they're like upside down. So if you ever look at the twos on Sterling Brown's jerseys, they're like messed up. It's really weird. That's very bizarre. Anyway, but yeah, uh, so I, that always bothered me because it felt like they were they were kind of obviously not, you know, obviously they weren't authentic, but they just sure. they kind of kind of. And then the other jersey I had, kind of random, but it was a Colts Marshall Falk jersey. That um, is pretty random. Pretty random. The the numbering though started to kind of come off, you know, because these were like the numbers that were like yep. pressed on, and it was pretty bootleg. Um, and so I was always self-conscious of it because it felt like they were like always on the verge of falling off. But anyway, those are my jerseys. And Jesus, we spent way too much time on. No, we we did not spend enough time on it. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I would not have asked you unless I was interested. I find jerseys fascinating. So um, the winner tonight, the best one I saw at Summerfest was a Nick Anderson Magic jersey. That wow, was, that was weird. Quite a pull. Uh, well done to the random person who was wearing it. Um, okay. Let's take a look at free agency, things that have been reported, things that, you know, we're sort of thinking and talking about. Um, I guess for me, there there's not a ton about Brook Lopez out there other than, you know, like possibly some teams that are interested. Um, Dave McMenamin mentioned that the Lakers are interested. Um, I think there's been some conversation that the Pelicans may be interested um, in Brook Lopez and think that's about it um is there a team i'm forgetting uh, i, yeah, I think I just, just saw rockets and lakers i think were the only teams yeah. i think i've seen mentioned um but so, yeah i mean not not like not not as much buzz as as for instance malcolm brogdon who we'll get to in a minute correct and i think when when you look at lopez like essentially the We've talked about, I've written about it at The Athletic, like with the trade that they made, uh, they could have a starting salary for Brooke at 12.6. If they wanted to push that deal out to four years, that could be four years, 54 million. Um, and I think being able to offer four years, 54 million is, I think, pretty competitive to like an offer if some team would go, hey, we're going to go two years, 30 million on Brooke. Like, I think that's pretty competitive for the Bucks to be able to go four years, even though I think four years for Brooke is just like everything else this summer for the Bucks and overpay. Um, I don't think you want to sign Brooke Lopez up for four years, but if, if that's kind of what you have to do to keep him, I, I think that would probably uh, be something that, you know, I, I think the Bucks would have to think about. And certainly if I'm running the Bucks, and, and again, we'll get to all of this as we go through Brogdon and Middleton. Um, I, I, if I was running the Bucks, I would be just fine paying the luxury tax and bringing everybody back. Like that's that's how I would approach this offseason because I think taking a step back is a bad idea um, from a, from a talent perspective and uh, just kind of letting that happen. So that's kind of what we've we've seen reported on Brook. Um, I don't know that anything's going to change there. Um, I think with um, anything you want to add on Brook, just I don't want to totally gloss over him, but I think he's maybe the least newsy or buzzy of of any of the of the three big free agents for the Bucks. Yeah, I think with Brooke, again, as we've mentioned, because you don't have bird rights on him, you can't really use an exception to uh, easily go, you know, way over the, 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 the cap to re-sign him. You know, you could use the mid-level exception, but there's issues with that if you use the the full mid-level then you hard cap yourself at 138 million or ish um and that's obviously very problematic because uh then you know 
as we'll talk about, you know, the 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 target becomes very clear in terms of what another team might offer Malcolm Brogdon in order to put him out of reach. So uh, avoiding the hard cap is is definitely important. So if you can sign Brook with cap space, which again is is fundamentally premised on Nikola Mirotic being renounced, um, which again is not great. You know, I would I, if there was a world where we could maintain at least the option of keeping Nikola Mirotic, I would like to do that. But you know, as we've talked about in the grand scheme of priorities, you know. He's he just I just can't put him um, over the guys that that you know the, the Chris's the Malcolms the Brooks right I mean those guys are just clearly more more valuable than than Miritich at this point for this team so um, so yeah I mean I think the the twelve point six number is sort of the the max starting salary for Brook unless they were to stretch uh, John Lore or do something else with another guy to get rid of him and, and again at this point I think you assume you're going into free agency with the twelve point six million in cap space plus uh, you know, again, you have an opportunity to open up more if you were to stretch lure. And then you also would have, uh, if you're using cap space, you'd have that roughly $5 million room exception as well. But you can't just add that onto the cap space. You get It's basically a separate sort of chunk of money that you can use. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think with Brooke, it's, you know, do you have to give them that full, you know, 12.6 and max 5% raises? Or can you get them for fewer years? Can you get them for you know, a flat deal rather than an escalating deal. Um, you know, that's all the kind of devil in the details that uh, obviously John Horst and company would have to figure out. And if you can get him for, for less than, you know, the numbers you just mentioned, four years, 54. Um, I mean, at this point, I would I would feel good if they got him for less than that. Um, but it's, it's difficult. I mean, we're going to go through it. Like, you know, your free agency... By definition, you know, unless you're kind of rolling the dice on kind of random guys um, like Brook Lopez last year, uh, not that Brook was random, but, you know, you're kind of you can take shots on kind of like dice roll type guys for like one year, two year type deals, Um, though, you know, those sometimes you strike a rich on, but mostly those guys are available because there's some reason that they're available. They're injury hit prone. There's questions about something about them. Um, you know, again, you, you don't just go into the off season planning that you're going to get a guy who's going to be an awesome rotation player or a starter for, you know, three, three million bucks or something. So, um, you know, now the kind of chickens have come home to roost for the bucks in terms of, you know, all these pieces worked. You were an awesome team last year and now everybody, you know, no, there, there are no secrets with these guys anymore. So that's obviously a big factor. And, it means that it's going to be, you know, hard to, to get bargains, especially with the guys that have proven they can that you can win with. All right, so that is Brooke. Um, I mean, I think that lays it out pretty succinctly that, you know, he since he is the one guy that they have to use cap space for, like there is a very clear limit to his market for the Bucks, um, and and they're going to have to make a decision and you know negotiate and and hopefully find a way to fit him in to that cap space that they will have. Um, let's go to, uh, I think Brogdon's probably the most interesting, so we'll save him for last out of the big three. Um, with Chris Middleton, um, I mean, we've heard what the, the Lakers may be interested. Um, even though I, I don't think that makes any sense because as Brian Winhorst described on the low post, they, People say they have twenty three million, but they don't really have twenty three million because they have a cap hold for Reggie Bullock. Like they, it's pretty, it's pretty unlikely that they can find a way to create 
max space and if they create max space i can't imagine they're creating it for chris middleton and that's not to disparage chris middleton just that you know i he wouldn't be the the flashy target that they would have kind of in their head as they put that all together so uh we've heard the lakers on chris middleton i'm trying to think what other teams have we heard uh middleton connected to well ironically the kind of indications that middleton was not going to really test free agency that there was some, you know, likely agreement, likely five years. I mean, that came from kind of the Dallas media market. I think Mike Fisher from from uh, DallasBasketball.com was the person who sort of said, all right, you know, Mavericks, they were potentially interested in Middleton. They were potentially interested in Brogdon. And then basically the Middleton kind of discussions just generally kind of went cold after that report. And I feel like we haven't really seen much indication of any teams really targeting Middleton, you know, he's not even really discussed as being somebody who's going to be even really testing the market. So, I mean, at this point, I'd be surprised if, if Chris isn't a, and I guess we can no longer say 1201 since free agency technically opens now on June 30th at what? Six, 601. 601 Eastern time uh, on Sunday. Um, so, I mean, I would be surprised. I mean, I think we always said that we thought Chris, they would figure something out since he was going to be the top priority before, uh, free agency started and that he would be a guy that gets announced right away. Um, so I think that still seems to be the case. Uh, you know, Dallas seems like they were going to be interested and that kind of faded. Uh, Indiana was a team that has been talked about, but again, you know, it doesn't seem like um, anybody's expecting Middleton to, uh, to really entertain seriously other offers that he has something lined up with the Bucks. So um, I would have assumed that maybe like Indiana or Dallas would have been probably the two teams I could have seen throwing like a max offer at Chris um, just because they're in that sort of, you know, good enough to want a guy like Chris, who is obviously not like a foundational superstar type guy. Um, But if you already have talent, if you already have some star level talent on your team, um, he is a guy that kind of makes sense because he just kind of easily fits into, you know, kind of pretty much any team. Right. I mean, Luca and, and, uh, and Borzingis, you throw Middleton on the wing there and kind of, his ability to play off the ball, play on the ball, be versatile defensively. I mean, sure. Why not? Right. I mean, again, um, Middleton making 30 plus million a year. I think we would both agree. I mean, he's not quote unquote worth that. Right. I mean, it's an, it's an overpay in sort of a, you know, general sense, like, you know, a lot of teams probably, especially if you're rebuilding, would you want Chris Middleton at that big of a number? Probably not. But, you know, if you're, again, if you're a winning team that is trying to kind of push itself over the edge from, you know, good to great or like the Bucks trying to go from great to great uh, and just sort of stay where you are. And you were doing that with, with Middleton already, you know, obviously those are the teams that, that are going to be willing to say, all right, we'll bite the bullet and pay Chris Middleton a ton of money over, over a long period of time. And um, so it doesn't seem like, you know, necessarily there's at this point going to be much of a resolution here from what I can tell other than Chris resigning and, I tweeted out a bit. Um, maybe it was over the weekend. Just wait. Um, before you, before yeah. you get to that, um, I, I, I think what you tweeted out was interesting, and I, and I want to get into it. But um, just with Middleton, like I, I think, and you know, we are uh, not often uh, not often seen as people who have a fair opinion on Middleton. I think. Most often we're seen as people who uh, are Middleton guys and Middleton homers and guys that, you know, just love Chris Middleton, all this stuff. And I just want to make it clear, like, I I think neither of us believe he will play to the level of that contract. 
like what, whatever it ends up being, whether it's a four-year max, five-year max, four-year near max, five-year near max, like neither of us believe that. And like, I, I just, uh, and, and I shouldn't belabor that point, but like, to me, this is a spot where the, the bucks, uh, this is the price of contending. Like if, if you want to contend and you have a special season like this, like you just have to deal with the fact that you're going to overpay anyone that is essential and important to your team. And we just talked about Brooke Lopez. And I mean, I think there's, there's few players more integral to the Bucks identity identity than Brooke Lopez. Uh, like he's, <laughs> the reason why Giannis has as much space as he does because he has a five man that shoots as many threes as Brooke does, like 500 threes from the center position. The next closest center to to shoot threes. I don't know if you saw my article at the Athletic this week. If you didn't, do you want to guess who it was? 512 threes, I believe, for Brooke this year. Uh, the next most threes from a center this season. Oh, uh, you wait. You're asking me for the number or who the guy is or both? Both. Oh man. Um. Is it like 300 or something like that? Something like way, way fewer? 350. 350. 355, I believe it is. Oh, God. My, my mind's going blank. Um, I mean, it's not Horford or Gasol because those guys don't shoot enough threes. Mm-hmm. Um, He's young. He's been talked about in the same way as Giannis uh, many times. Is it, wait, was it Embiid? It is not. Well, now you're throwing. Also plays in the Midwestish area, I guess. North, mid Midwest. Uh, it, it's Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, Carl! For some reason, that first I was going to talk about. Um, I was going to guess. I know Turner shot more threes this year, but that makes total sense. Yeah, Towns. He should be shooting lots of threes. But three fifty, like yeah. three fifty five to five twelve. That's the difference. Yeah, like yeah. that. It's it's a huge difference, and Brooke and doesn't even play like I mean it's not like Brooke plays thirty five minutes no. a game either, so it's like per no, minute it's like, crazy. So that's why you know like when I, I talk about guys that are integral to kind of what the Bucks do, like he's one of them because offensively he he does something that no other center in the league does, and then defensively he's able to protect the rim and really hit the defensive glass, so that Giannis doesn't have to do those things um, as often, and he's freed up to to kind of do what he needs to do. And it's the same thing with Middleton. Like, okay, so if Middleton can cover the other team's best wing every night, which he did pretty much every single night this season, well, that means Middleton is freed up to do what he needs to do uh, defensively. And he can be the free safety and he can be the guy that flies all over the place and does all of that. And then, you know, when, when you continue to look through this, like, okay, offensively, you have a guy in Middleton that can play make some so that when it gets, uh, tough on Giannis when team been respected and shot, he can play make a little bit. And oh, when Giannis does have the ball, he's a guy that can space the floor. And again, like that allows Giannis to be Giannis offensively. Uh, so if you if you want to keep guys that can do those things, and you want to keep guys that free up Giannis to be the Giannis that we saw this year, like, well, you're gonna have to pay him. And like I think Brooke Lopez is an overpay at four years, fifty-four, or if it would be two years at thirty from some other team, like that's an overpay for Brooke Lopez. But if you want it and you want to contend, that's what you have to do. And with Chris Middleton, it, those numbers are an overpay. But if you want to contend and you want to be a great team, like that's what you have to do. So uh, I think that should largely be the 
the message for just about this entire off season and it's very uncomfortable and i know every every fan wants to feel like their general manager got a great deal and you know is is getting the most value out of their roster and really found a steal in the draft or found a steal in free agency but you know like there is also some value in a general manager knowing to keep it together and pay guys and uh, i mean i think the fact that the Toronto Raptors won a championship this year speaks to it. Like they overpaid for a number of their core players. And when the time came to make the moves that needed to be made, they made them and they ended up winning an NBA championship because they did those things. So um, I just think that's important to state with, with really all of the Bucks free agents, but those two guys in particular, um, I just think they're so essential to what the Bucks do uh, that, does it suck that you're you're not going to get uh, the value that you want uh, at a per dollar uh, kind of rate for for your players? Yeah, it does suck, but it's also just kind of how it goes. But to your tweets about Middleton, I thought they were thought provoking and interesting. Kind of lay those out for our listeners. Yeah, so I mean, I think um, the the you know to, to this point of um, you know the idea of like, well, you know, again, I I, I guess. I'm I've I'm in the you should try to keep Chris Middleton camp right. I mean I'm in the you should try to keep pretty much the, those three main guys camp right and do what what needs to be done contractually to do that. As we said, there are limits on what you can do with Lopez, regardless. So it's not like you know you could offer Lopez twenty five million dollars a year even if you wanted to, right? Um, but uh, with 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 I mean with all these guys, um, I I was talking about Chris in particular, but. I think uh, an interesting debate is always around sort of like length of contracts and, you know, I, our friends from the Dunked On podcast, you know, Danny LaRue and Nate Duncan always talk about years, not dollars and how, you know, it's important to consider the length of contracts, not just the, the dollars, uh, you know, behind them. Right. I mean, um, you know, we, we talked about, I think in the wake of, uh, you know, the, the 2016 explosion, you know, any, there's no such there's no such thing as a bad one or two year contract at that point, right? The the real problem was teams that signed you know, those like four year contracts that were you know seventy million bucks for you know Evan Turner or Bismack Biombo or Alan Crabb, right? Those were the contracts that that really killed you versus a two year contract. I mean, whatever you know, like all right, you hope the guy's good in the first year if he maybe is disappointing. Well, by year two he's an expiring contract, and you know again, not that that has some huge inherent value, but at least you can make moves around it and you're not, you know, having to pay somebody multiple first round picks or something to get rid of it. Um, so for me, I mean, my general view is five-year contracts are things you want to save for, you know, either the super duper stars, you know, the Giannis's, um, you know, we've heard a lot of talk about, um, you know, Durant's going to get, you know, Durant is going to get four years because that's all that, that other teams can offer him. But like, he's a no brainer max years guy, the Warriors should offer him five years. Other teams should offer him four years. Like there's no debate about that. He's just too good, right? Even with this injury, you just, that's the tax for getting one of the handful of best players in the world. Um, you know, Chris is different. I mean, Chris is obviously not uh, in on a Durant level. He's not a Giannis level. He's not in that, you know, all NBA caliber of players. He's not going to be the best player on, on that championship team. Um, and so I think he is in that, you know, second or third tier, depending on kind of how you break things down. Um, you know, someone was tweeting at me the other day, like, I don't think he can be the, a, a max player on a, on a, on a contender or on a title winning team. And I'm just like, 
well, what if they just bring back, you know, these three guys and Chris is getting a max and Brogdon's getting, you know, whatever big contract and Lopez is getting the number we've talked about. I mean, by definition, like, I think that's a title contending team and Max and Chris is on a, a more or less a max contract. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know how that's debatable unless you think like the season was just a complete fluke, which title I, contending team is such a, it's, it's stupid. It's a stupid fucking phrase. Yeah. And because I think, the, the only, the only way people will admit someone is a title contender is if they win a title. And that is not the definition of a title contender. That is the definition of a champion. Like, okay, great. If, if the only way you're going to say someone is a title contender is if they win, then say, then don't use the phrase title contender, use the word champion. Um, I don't believe that this guy can be the number two guy or a max guy or a number three or a number five or whatever on a title contender. Don't say that because you're not willing to use that phrase. Title contender means in contention for a title, which means you had a real chance to win a title, which the Bucks absolutely had this season. It's like, if we're going to use the phrase title contender, use it as it is actually defined. Don't use it as an NBA champion. Like if the only title contender from this year is the Toronto Raptors, then what are we doing? Like that's not title contender. That is NBA champion. So uh, that phrase should be abolished because it's stupid. Yeah. And I mean, I think you mentioned the Raptors I mean, the Raptors are interesting because you know, they have, they gave Lowry three years, a hundred million, um, a couple years ago, they gave Ibaka three years, 60 some million or whatever it was. Um, and so th- it's actually interesting because, you know, essentially they're paying Ibaka and, and Lowry similar dollars to what the Bucks may have to end up paying Chris and, and Malcolm, you know, with a little bit of, a, you know, inflation mm-hmm. adjustment. Um, and of course, like you wouldn't look at, you know, I mean, what a year ago, you know, people always get so, and I think people have overstated Lowry's playoff struggles, but, um, you know, when that deal was signed, like, I'm sure the people who recoil at the idea of paying Chris Middleton more than $20 million a year would have said, like, how can you pay Kyle Lowry, you know, when he was 32 or whatever he was at the time, a hundred million dollars, right? How can you pay Serge Ibaka when he's, you know, obviously that there's age rumors about him being older than, than he's listed at. Um, but obviously he was, he has been on the decline the last couple of years and he was a bench player this year. How can you pay him, you know, 20, 20 million a year? And, and it's true. I mean, those are overpays, right? Like th- those are overpays. I think Masai Ujiri knew that those contracts were not going to be assets that he could just go flip for, you know, multiple first round picks or, or young players or whatever it might be. But again, this is the challenge of being a team that is competing for a title. And again, the, the the Raptors obviously made the huge move to you know swap Demar Derozan for Kawhi Leonard. But I think that means that they are really the best analog for the Bucks because they are a team that has one absolute super duper star, two way you know does everything type player, and then everybody else in the roster is like clearly a cut like a more than a cut below that, right? I mean, Lowry was. An all-star, he's been an all-star, but he's obviously not an all-NBA, you know, star-type player, right? I mean, and credit to him, he had just, you know, some monster games in the playoffs, including against the Bucs. Um, and Pascal Siakam, obviously, has become a really, really good player, right? I mean, I think going forward, I I think he should, I would think he'll make some all-star teams, right? I think he's he's become that good. He'll continue to be that good. But, mm-hmm. you know, this year, I mean, he wasn't an all-star this year. I, mean, I don't know what, if he averaged, what, 17 a game, something like that. Um, he really put up basically numbers that were extremely similar 
to what Giannis put up in his third year when of course he, he wasn't an all-star that was his kind of pre the year before he became an all-star um so yeah I mean I think Toronto is a really interesting team because I mean they're going to have you know Gasol opted into his player option he's going to make 25 million next year he's obviously not worth that right um but again also it's only one year so it's not not you know crippling um so I mean that's just kind of the nature of the beast and you know especially when you have a veteran team and you don't have a lot of you know, young guys on on cheap deals um, that are big contributors, and, and obviously the Raptors had to trade some of those guys away in the Kawhi deal, which was worth every penny. So you really, you know, it's Siakam um, is really that key guy on a cheap deal, and then you've got um, a lot of other kind of more proven guys on, you know, I would say market to worse <laughs> to worse contracts, yeah. and um, you know, there's no guarantees by any stretch, right? And ultimately, I mean, if the Bucks. Um, you know, dole out, dish out all this money and, you know, continue to fall short in the playoffs for the next few years, never win a championship, then you're going to say, well, they shouldn't have given Chris Middleton all that money. They shouldn't have given Malcolm Brogdon all that money, right? If Malcolm Brogdon breaks his foot next year and, you know, isn't the same player moving forward, then, you know, again, and, and I think that's another reason why I really hesitate to kind of, you know, be in favor of like five-year contracts um, is A, nobody else can offer the guy that much money. So Chris can't get more than four years, 141 million from another team. So, you know, do I want to just throw him five years, 190 million or five years, 180 million um, just to prove how much I love him and whatever? Like, I don't know. Do you really need to do that? Like, do you need to offer him, you know, uh, isn't four years of love enough? (laughs) You know, and again, like, I mean, guys, you never know the psychology of guys, right? Like if you offer the same amount of money as another team, um, I mean, some guys will take that as an insult because you weren't willing to offer the fifth year. Um, but like, are you going to walk for the same amount of money um, to a worse team where, you know, you don't have any history of competing for a championship or something like that? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know Chris's mindset or his agent's mindset, whatever. Um, but I would hope that you wouldn't have to offer, you know, close to five years, 190. So that that was my view. It's like, I, I mean, again, I'm not, it's hard for me given how good the Bucks are and the fact that, you know, you can't just flip a switch and, you know, get a, a Chris Middleton clone using whatever cap flexibility you'd have if Chris leaves. Um, it's hard for me to say like, oh, well, I just walk away at, you know, pick some random number, right? Um, I, I can't really do that easily for Chris or Malcolm because, again, I just, my view is like you're, you're too damn close to winning a championship right now. You're so, you know, you're a year away from Giannis being eligible for an extension. Um, and again, like your mileage may vary, but, you know, saying like, I don't want to sign those guys so that you maybe have cap space a year from now when it's an even worse free agent class. And, you know, you don't get good players in free agency in general, no matter what, t- no matter what team you are. Um, you know, I, the idea that you're just going to go out and get a better deal than Chris Middleton or Malcolm Brogdon a year from now, if you have cap space, I don't know. I mean, I think history, you know, I, I know that like a lot of people, especially as Bucks fans, like the, the memories of Michael Red or whatever are kind of what make people hesitant to, you know, sign up Chris Middleton for for as much money as, as is being discussed. Um, but again, the flip side is like you're asking him to be a complimentary piece on a team that we know can compete for a championship. And um, you know, the other thing too is, I mean, it's kind of funny with Michael Red because. Um, I mean, people forget, like, I mean, he had the injuries at the end, right? Which obviously like totally sidetracked his career and really kind of effectively ended his career. But, you know, that was a six-year contract that Red signed in 2005. In 2008, 
I mean, I remember, um, and I don't think I can think I can say this because who, who cares? That was 11 years ago. I, I met John Hammond in 2008, um, had a chance to talk to him. Um, it was, I think, the day after the draft, I want to say, the Joe Alexander draft, ironically. And, um, you know, this, the, you know, he talked about like they, they could have traded red for expiring contracts and like a first round pick to the Cavaliers. And so, I mean, until he like basically tore his ACL twice, I mean, even red on that big contract. And again, like the, the numbers have totally flipped, right? The, the, the cap when red signed that contract was $50 million total. You know, now it's more than twice that. Um, so not surprisingly, you know, the, the, the salaries are more than twice that, but um you know, even three years into that contract, they could have just gotten off Red's deal for essentially like a first round pick and expirings, right? Like, it's not like they were... Don't even go back that far. Like, go back to this offseason. Mike Conley just yeah. got moved. For two first round picks, like, right? So For two first... And again, like, you can debate how valuable those picks are, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that's totally fine. But, like, Conley got moved. And if Conley can get moved, like... You know, I'm not going to say that it's going to be some great deal, but uh, Chris Middleton could get moved. There's no reason to think that he couldn't going down the road. Like, there's not an immediate fall off that I think anyone could reasonably expect from Middleton. Like, you know, maybe there's uh, like a plateau that he's reached, but I don't think if, if you're reasonably projecting his next four seasons, like, there's not not a, an immediate drop off. Yeah, and I think, um, and I think the the ultimate point I, I kind of made was it's just a really interesting trade off because you know for me to go five years again like with any player five years especially you know Chris would be early thirties at that point which again isn't like you know it's not like he should be a terrible player at that point um, but look I mean he's going to be past his prime right most most guys are past mm-hmm. their prime at the point he's a skill guy so I think he should age fine right I mean it's not, I don't think he's going to forget how to shoot. Um, you know, he, he's a playmaker. He, you know, again, it's always interesting kind of when people talk about like guys with athleticism versus not athleticism and like, oh, well he just, you know, some people say, oh, he doesn't have enough athleticism. So like when he's 31, he's going to like be really in trouble. Um, but you know, again, I think if you have a high skill level, like you're naturally going to be more insulated from, um, kind of aging out, you know, like Bledsoe, I would, I would be more worried about, right. Because he is much more sort of explosive athleticism based than somebody like Chris, who is more of a skill guy shooting, passing. Um, but, uh, but it's still an interesting trade-off because it's like, if the bucks do go five years, I'm sure the idea would be, well, take a slight discount, start at something less than the max. And again, that's where sort of this, like, how do you trade off kind of short-term versus long-term comes into play? Because if you, you know, take a couple million dollars less than the max in year one, you know, the Bucks can offer these 8% raises. So they can sort of catch up the value of a contract to what it would have been if he took that four-year kind of max from another team with 5% raises. They can sort of catch up by using those max raises um, to, even if it starts below max, to basically get like above where another team would, what another team would have been offering, you know, three, four years from now. And then they can also also offer the fifth year on top of that. So again, it's sort of like these trade-offs, like, you know, I think the bucks are going to be really desperate to avoid the tax this year. Um, You know, they're going to talk about being willing to pay the tax to, if they can think they can compete for a championship. And I, I think, I think that's true. I don't think they're lying about that, but 
I think on the margin when push comes to shove, you know, we'll talk about it. I think it's going to be basically Brogdon is probably going to be the guy where they're going to be tested and he's going to be the big number that isn't determined on at 601 Eastern on June 30th. And so, um, you know, teams... Unfortunately, they might use the same definition of title contender as the people that use title contender. Yeah, right? or, and again, you know, when, it come, when push comes to shove, teams will talk themselves into, well, you know... We did a we did we did okay, you know we basically won basically two series in the in the, in the playoffs without Malcolm Brogdon even playing. You know he came back at the end of the Boston series, so you really didn't even need him to beat the Celtics or the Pistons. So I mean again, you can kind of talk yourself into like, wow, did we really need Malcolm Brogdon? Like we're still a great team without Malcolm Brogdon. It's like, well, yeah, you could still be a great team without Malcolm Brogdon, but like, are you gonna get over the hump? Are you gonna win a championship without a guy of that talent level? Considering, you know. He has a $3 million cap hold. It's not like some magical huge amount of money gets freed up on your cap if you don't, you know, bring him back. Um, so it's it's difficult. Um, and and anyway, so so I think, I mean, we, I'm kind of bouncing between Chris and, and Malcolm, but I think just to kind of tie out the Chris thing, yes, Chris is going to be overpaid, right? Now, does that mm-hmm. mean that he is going to be untradeable? No, I think if he stays healthy and produces, you know, in the ballpark of what he's done, you know, these past couple of years. And I think he'll still be tradable. Is he going to be tradable for, you know, a bounty of assets? No, I don't think so. But like, you know, if you wanted to kind of get off his salary for maybe slightly worse players, but shorter contract durations, like I think you'll be able to do that, you know, which I think is essentially what people who don't want to sign him sort of are offering as an alternative, like kind of going more of like a budget route, like the Boyan Bogdanovich's of, of the world. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, a year from now, if you really wanted to trade Chris Middleton making thirty million plus for Boyan Bogdanovich making twenty million when he's two years older, and you know, along with some other guys to make pieces fit from a cap perspective, like yeah, I'm sure whoever has Boyan Bogdanovich would happily do that because Chris is a better player and he's younger and does more stuff. Um, so, so I, again, it's just like I, I want the Bucks to win a championship, you know, um, amorphous prop you know amorphous flexibility two three years from now i'm all for flexibility especially when the bucks were bad and there was no clear way for them to compete for a championship um but now i'm gonna discount future flexibility a lot because it's win now time and we've been saying that really you know i think since we since we got to see how good the bucks were early the season when we got to the trade deadline i mean i think it became very obvious the bucks are win now and i think you know again Mm -hmm we have not previously had a justification for that really before this year. Um, but now I, I, I buy into it and, you know, you don't think it's worth doing that. Um, you know, I, we're just not going to disagree. We're just not going to agree on that. You know, I, and I don't, I don't really understand where that necessarily comes from other than sort of, you know, sort of the paranoia of being a lifelong Bucks fan and always having this mindset of like, where you have to be flexible for flexibility's sake. Um, but, you know, I think Zach Lowe put it best today. It's like, if you're ever going to pay the tax, this is when you pay the tax if you're the Bucks, right? Like, what are you saving yourself for at this point? Um, because if you were the best team in the league last year and you were, you know, uh, a few bounces in a, in a double overtime game away from being up 3-0 in the East Finals, uh, you know, so many things. If you just make some three-pointers, if you just make some open three-point shots, you probably are in the finals against a very vulnerable Warriors team. And, 
you know, again, I think uh, there's no guarantees for next year, but um, there's a lot of luck and it's really just about having, you know, the talent level to, to give yourself a chance to be in, be in that discussion and just have things bounce your way. And obviously the Raptors saw, you know, they did that. They gave themselves a chance. They stuck with guys that obviously a lot of people counted out and guys who were objectively overpaid and, you know, but they, they ultimately had enough talent and they had obviously the guys stepping up when they needed it most and, you know, things bounce their way and, and now they're champions. And now they have what, what we all dream of having as Bucks fans. All right. Um, that went a little bit longer and I think touched on many of the things that we were going to talk about with Brogdon, but I guess the latest news on Brogdon is, uh, Brian Windhorst mentioned during the podcast he did with Zach Lowe that uh, he thinks the Bulls are lining up an uh, offer for Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, sounds like four years, $80 million, somewhere around there. Um, we've heard Brogdon now discussed for a couple different teams. I think the Suns were one of them. Um, I think a couple people have mentioned maybe the Pacers, even though it sounds like uh, Bogdanovich is kind of lined up to return there and that'll be how they use their money. Um, but I mean, I, I think we're at a spot where I, I don't, I don't want to say I'd be shocked, but I'd certainly be surprised if he's, if he's not getting $20 million per year in whatever contract he ends up getting. Yeah. And I mean, the, again, the, the really interesting thing is, I mean, the structure of these contracts becomes really important, right? Um, you know, if it's a, deal that is structured such that it's declining and the biggest dollars are in year one in order to exact as much pain as possible on the bucks if they were to match. I mean, that's how I would structure it if I was a a cap space team, right? I would offer the most possible, I would offer, you know, the most possible money in year one. You can then, you know, the way these um, raises and, and declines work is basically the year one salary. You start with that and you take, if you're, you know, if it's an outside free agent, take 5% of that and you can go up or down by that amount, you know, any year, right? Like Chris's deal went up and down his last contract. So if you're a team that looks at the bucks and says, Oh, these guys don't want to pay the luxury tax. You know, these guys won't, don't want to pay the luxury tax. They're going to get nervous about giving Brogdon all that money. I'd say, okay, well I'm not maxing Brogdon, right? His max is, is much higher than, than the numbers we're, we're hearing kind of thrown around. Um, okay. So I'll take, you know, if I want to say $20 million a year, I'll start it at, you know, whatever, 22 or something like that and then de-escalate it over time so that that's again like i'm if they don't do that if it's 20 million even if it's an in- increasing salary um all that's going to think going to be very important to the bucks because um again like when you just kind of start to do the math you know if they keep brooke at you know 12.6 starting let's say of that 50 more four million dollar contract you mentioned is kind of the most they can offer. Okay, let's say they do that, right? They they don't get a better deal on Brook if they give Middleton, you know, let's say thirty two million, like close to the max. And if they give have to give Brogan like twenty million dollars, um, you know, you're you know without stretching John Lure, I think you're like roughly ten million dollars over the luxury tax um, with like eleven players. I think it was when I when I kind of ran the numbers earlier. So yeah, you're you're well well into the tax at that point. And, you know, if you're a team like the Bulls or, you know, the, the Brogdon seems to be like the, the soup du jour of uh, like free agents for teams to try to target, you know, probably because there is this sense that the Bucks might not match a big enough number. Um, I think there's that in like every crappy team's like, you know, we could use some leadership. 
you know who's the leader? Malcolm Brogdon. Get in yeah. here, buddy. Like, it, like you'll you'll fix all of the crap that we have going on. Yeah, and even though he's he was very old for a second round pick or very old for a rookie back when he came into the league, he's still relatively young for a free agent, right? He's twenty six, so the idea of getting a guy at his age, I mean, that's better than you know most free agents are later in their twenties. So by definition, you're getting a guy who is either in his in his prime and in some cases like probably entering the tail end or, or exiting his prime, which is why it's so hard to make good free agent signings because most guys are, you know, older, right? The great players are generally a little older than, uh, than, than what you'd like. So, um, so yeah, Brogdon at 26 is appealing. And again, like, you know, the foot thing, the foot injury that, you know, again, it's, it's not great. You know, he was red flagged. This has been reported for years and years. He's red flagged at the draft. That's probably why he, fell to the Bucks in the first place. Um, you know, I think from just what we hear, like there's the possibility if he suffered a really bad injury to it. Um, I mean, again, I'm not saying he's like retiring, but like, is he the same player that he has been? We don't know. I mean, that, that could be, he could, you know, again, be, um, have chronic issues. He's missed a bunch of games the last two years with the plantar fasciitis injury and the, the quad injury a year ago. So it's not like durability was a strong suit anyway, and he hasn't even had an issue with the foot that everybody is so concerned with. So, um, so again, like, I mean, you know, objectively speaking, those are big risk factors that would say, yeah, you'd want to be careful offering him <laughs> four years or, you know, not putting in some injury protection, non-guaranteed money, things like that. Um, but again, like when it's a bunch of teams and, they're you know the money's burning a hole in their pocket and they want to make a splash and you know all the stuff that you know usually leads teams to spend tons and tons of money in free agency again all it takes is is uh is the one asshole as they say <laughs> and uh mm-hmm. and that could be it and then you know again brogdon could technically get that offer sheet sign it during the moratorium between you know essentially june 30th and july 6th and then starting july 6th the bucks would have 48 hours to uh to either decide whether they're matching it or, or not so um you know the timing is is challenging because again a lot of this discussion around cap space and things like that <clears throat> um it's based on sort of sequencing and you know when you when you make these signings so um so we'll see uh brogdon is is he really to me is the ultimate x factor in the buck summer even though obviously these other guys are, are also important and in chris's case he's gonna make more money but um you know, I, I feel the least confident in Brogdon. I, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe even saying it's 50, 50, that he returns. Maybe, I don't know. I just get this sense that, that, that even that might be a little, um, optimistic. And so, um, I mean, when you, when you listen to, to Zach and Brian Windhorst, like they both mentioned the idea that, you know, there is a number where the bucks will walk. And Mm -hmm. I mean that if, if those two guys, uh, obviously, who are as well-connected as anyone in the league, if those two guys know that at this point right now and are willing to say that on a podcast, uh, you'd have to think the rest of the league knows that, right? <laughs> like, like, you'd have to think all the all the teams that are thinking about making an offer to Malcolm Brogdon are thinking that and uh, trying to figure out what that number may, may be. And, you know, as Zach mentioned, like, okay, maybe that number is 23 or 24, per year or maybe it's 20 per year and teams are, are gonna you know really take a run at it and as we've said multiple times it's not our money so we can say this but you know if 
if I'm the general manager of this team, if I'm John Horst, I'm I'm looking right to Mark Lazary and Wes Edens and Jamie Dynan, and I'm saying, all right, guys, you want this franchise? You want this franchise to be good? Time to pay. Like that. Like it's it to me that really is what this offseason is about. And again, I understand that you're not going to be getting a good deal. I understand that you're you're not going to be getting the most value for your dollar if you decide to pay all three members uh, of the the big three free agents the Bucks have. But to me, like it's as simple as that. Like you just have to do it. You, you got to suck it up and you got to pay the tax. But it does sound like, like you said, like you know, when you listen to Zach and you, and you listen to Brian Windhorst, it, it does sound like the Bucks have a number where it would just be too much. And and for that reason, I, I would have to agree with you. Like I do think there there's a, a more real possibility than I think I was ever willing to kind of think about a month ago with Malcolm Brogdon that you know there's a real possibility that he's He's not with the Bucks next year. Yeah, and, and again, I, I I am less of a Brogdon fan than I am a Middleton fan, but I also think Middleton's going to make more money. Obviously, that seems you know a, a lock. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I have a hard time. I I, I feel like <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, it'd be interesting to see like what percentage of people, if you say the numbers on Middleton and Brogdon are like you know, thirty and twenty or something like that, right? Like, it'd be interesting to see how many Bucks fans are willing to pay those numbers for both of those guys or one of those guys or neither of those guys. Cause I feel like, you know, it doesn't make sense to me that you would say, I don't know. I, th- I feel like a hypocrite to say pay one, but not the other, mm-hmm. even though, again, I think that's objectively an overpay for both of those guys, especially if to go, you know, with Brogdon, if you have to go four years, Chris, if you have to go five years. Um, but again, it's like, if you're trying to, go all in and win a championship and you look at where you are. I mean, the bucks have a very good chance of being the odds on favorite to win an NBA title in a couple of weeks. Like, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens with the Lakers. I mean, hopefully they, they continue to screw up and, you know, show the inability to build around their stars, which they did last summer very conveniently. Um, but uh, you know, again, I mean, there's a chance the bucks, if they keep, let's say that these three guys, very good chance that they would be the the favorites in Vegas to to win the title next year, especially if Kawhi Leonard left Toronto. And and again, there's lots of what ifs. Um, but you know, especially with the Warriors and the injuries to to KD and and Clay Thompson, you know, next year is just a fascinating opportunity. And so, if you're not willing to go all in, you know, it's again, kind of as as Zach Lowe alluded to with the Bucks, if if you're not willing to go all in to try to think that you can win a championship for next year. Again, Giannis is very young. I get it. You know, you can't view it as like the window explodes, you know, this 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 year if you don't get it this year. Um, but again, it's not like, you know, Chris and Malcolm are 35-year-olds or something like that, and they're going to, you know, turn into pumpkins or whatever. Um, you know, I think they're not in like the Chris Paul sort of age range, right, where you can kind of quickly flip from being like awesome and, yeah, I guess you just pay the guy that money to – Oh crap! This guy's slowing down, and you know that number is getting worse and worse. So, um, yeah, I mean, fuck it, let's go win a championship. That's, <laughs> that's sort of my mindset. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that's a good way to end this. Uh, to me, again, I don't, I don't think it's, it's that simple. Nothing ever is, but that, that is definitely, that would definitely be my approach this off season and the next 
two weeks, but we will see what what the Bucks ultimately decide. And and one other thing too, I mean, I think um, this is, I mean, you know, John Horst just wins Executive of the Year. Well, you know, you win Executive of the Year because of you know the trades you make, the guys you pick, the signings you make. I mean, that that's the obvious stuff that a GM does. Um, but you know, I think I think the other real kind of important job of a GM or executive, whatever the, you know, your, your uh, lead decision makers is called, whatever their title is. Um, they have to sell ownership on the vision, right? John Horst to keep this team together will likely have to convince ownership that going into the tax. And again, they're, you know, if you go into the tax with deals that you agree to in the next week, you know, again, you can still do things, moving forward to potentially get back under that tax. You know, I think stretching lore trading Ursan would be kind of the obvious um, levers to potentially do that. You know, again, trading Ursan, we'll see how, see what, what that would look like if, if it comes to that. But, um, but this is, this is a big part of the job that we don't, you know, as fans, we don't really think about as much, but being able to sell your ownership on this is it, this is what we should be doing. You should be investing this amount of money. You should be willing to pay the tax you should trust me to get us into the tax and manage it in a way that, you know, we have maybe have a chance to get out of it. If that's what ownership says needs to happen, whatever it might be. Right. Because again, if you can't do that as a GM, you know, that's an important part of the job that, you know, you, you're failing at. If you can't convince your owners to, to believe in your vision and be willing to invest money, especially when, you know, I think, I think this ownership group would pay the tax under certain circumstances. And so I think, you know, again, part of the, the charge for John Horst is, you know, convincing them to do that and convincing them it's worth it. So, um, hey, congrats on the award, John Horst. No, uh, no pressure. Go, <laughs> go, go invest a god, god, you know, I don't want to say god off, but a crazy amount of money in, you know, this team to, to try to do it again. All right. That's going to be it for us for Locked on Bucks. Uh, we'll uh, be keeping an eye on everything and, you know, trying to get you guys ready for uh, six, uh, I guess that's six Eastern. So 5.01 on on Sunday, on Sunday night. So uh, all of that is getting closer and closer. So for Frank Mann, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. We'll talk to you guys later.